Shalom, everybody. Shalom. Yeah. Welcome to Liquid Church. Uh, and today we are starting God of Miracles, brand new series today. And uh, if you're new, my name is Rabbi Tim. All right. Just kidding. I uh, serve as lead pastor. But for the next seven weeks, I'm going to kind of be your tour guide as we journey through the Holy Land and walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to be an epic series, guys. I can't wait to show you what we experienced in Israel. But first, we got to give a big welcome to all our campuses who are joining us on the big screen today. Give them a hand. Hey, guys. Awesome to see you. So glad you're on the adventure. Now, let me explain what this is if you're new to our church. Uh, basically, twice a year we do this. Uh, our entire church comes together for seven weeks, once in the fall and once in the spring. And we go through a church-wide series specifically designed for our small groups. So for seven weeks, I'm going to preach straight from the gospel, the life of Jesus Christ. And then during the week, you meet in small groups. That's eight or ten people meet in a living room or a coffee shop for Bible study, prayer, uh, and really to dig deeper into the miracles of Jesus to build your faith. So for the next seven weeks, that's leading up to Easter, we're going to be in the season of Lent, we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus through the New Testament, and I'm going to take you kind of on a virtual tour of Israel. My wife Colleen and I had a chance to travel there in, uh, in January, and it was life-changing. Wow, that's big. It, <laughs> it was life-changing. Uh, it was the trip of a lifetime, and uh, we shot some video for you so you can see the actual synagogues where Jesus taught. He would have stood right there and opened the Torah and preached. You'll see the towns where he healed the sick. We'll visit the Jordan River, where he was baptized. We'll even go for a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to follow Jesus for, for 40 days as we kind of walk from Galilee up north all the way to Jerusalem. That's the, the holy city, the city of David, where he was welcomed as a Messiah on Palm Sunday. But then a week later was crucified as a criminal on the cross. Ultimately, our journey will culminate at his tomb in the garden, which, spoiler alert, I looked inside, it's empty, people, okay? I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> These seven weeks, yeah, it's going to lead up to Easter. That's where we're going to end up. So we're going to celebrate at the end of the series, Jesus' resurrection, his victory over sin and death. So we're going to go through the Gospels for these next 40 days leading to Easter. And I really think this is going to help some of you who maybe, um, maybe the Bible's too familiar. You've read it your whole life in black and white, and, and, and I think it's going to bring it alive for many of you. Or if you're just vaguely familiar with Jesus, you know, he's God, but I don't really know the details. This is going to be powerful. So today, I want to encourage you to get in a small group if you haven't joined one yet. Because God of Miracles is a small group series. Now, we have over 200 small groups that meet during the week for every age and stage of life. So if you're a guy, we got men's groups. You're a woman, we got women's groups. We got co-ed groups, couples groups, seniors groups, young adults groups. What do groups do? They get together to eat, and they eat a lot, I notice. Uh, they eat, they, they study the Bible, they pray together. And then you're going to be walking through the seven major miracles that Jesus uh, performs in the Gospel of John, kind of springboarding off the content I present on Sunday. Now, today I'm going to give you an introduction. I kind of want to whet your appetite and let you see where the series is going. And then at the end of today's service, you're going to have a chance to meet all the small group leaders at your campus and sign up to join a group if you aren't in one yet. Because we really believe at Liquid that life is better in community. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's how you make friends, people. <laughs> Big church, small groups. That's how you get to know people and put roots down in your faith. Now, why am I taking you on a trip 
to the holy land of all places, right? Like some of you are kind of like, Tim, this is a church, not a travel agency, okay? I actually snapped this photo with my iPhone. This is actually the road to, from Jericho to Jerusalem. You got this little monastery carved inside. I can't wait to show you what we discovered. But you might be like, well, why can't, can't we just read the Bible? Like, you know, in, in the teachings of Jesus? And, 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 well, of course you can. But you got to understand, that Bible, it is geographical. That is, the events recorded in God's Word don't take place long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Everything we stake our life on in the Bible, the stories, the records, the historical accounts, are directly connected to a specific slab of land, a rocky region in the Middle East known as the nation of Israel. You want to see where it is? Let's go on a journey. Let's spin the globe. We'll fly over Africa, straight over to the Middle East, where you're going to see Israel smack dab right on the Mediterranean Sea. This is actually the Dead Sea right here. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. There's Jerusalem. Israel's surrounded by four different countries, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Egypt, of course. And it's very small. It's about the same size as the state of New Jersey. But what it makes up in its small size, it makes up for with a rich history. See, Israel dates back to the beginning of the Bible, the Old Testament. Before it was named Israel on Google Maps, <laughs> it was simply called the promised land. The land that the God of the Bible promised his children, the Jewish people. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now you may say, well then how does it get the name Israel? Well, God said this to Jacob in Genesis. Listen to this verse. He says, your name is Jacob. That's what your mama named you. But you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be what, church? Israel. Let's read it together. So he named him Israel. Anyone know what Israel means? It means to struggle with God. So the struggle is real. The struggle is real. You get it? <laughs> Someone's head just exploded in Garwood. I just, I just what? <laughs> and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, this is where the rest of civilizations, the cradle of civilization is going to be birthed out of this. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. So God gives birth to this new baby, names her Israel, and he says, this is my girl. This is my treasured possession. She's going to represent the God of the Bible. See, Israel was literally founded as one nation under one God. They were surrounded by all these pagan tribes who worshipped idols and, and did child sacrifice. And so they, God said, I am El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. And guess what? That prophecy came true. All through the Old Testament, kings, priests, prophets were among Israel's descendants. And let me tell you, you step off that plane in Tel Aviv, the Bible comes to life in a dramatic way. You literally begin walking in the footsteps of your biblical ancestors. In fact, our first stop off the plane was Mount Carmel. I'll give you a little drone shot of this. This is where the prophet Elijah called down fire from heaven to prove that the God of Israel was the one true God. You're actually looking at the peak of Mount Carmel. Now, this is a Carmelite monastery there, but this is the actual place where fire fell from heaven. You can actually see it right here. X marks the spot. How do you know that? Because this is a rocky outcropping where they have the archaeological evidence because the geography of the Bible has remained unchanged over 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years before. 
And so Elijah the prophet basically said, I'm calling your bluff, all you pagan priests. I want you to come to the top of this mountain, and we're going to have it out right here. Meet me at the flagpole. <laughs> and basically he said, we're going to set up an altar, sacrifice a bull, and whoever's God sends fire, he is the true God. You know how the story goes? They set up the altar right here. They slice up the bull, and he says, you first. And so all the prophets of Baal come, and they start, you know, chanting, hooga booga, hooga booga, whatever it is. <laughs> Want Baal to send fire, nothing happens. And Elijah's like, maybe he's sleeping, bro. And uh, they're like, hooga booga, louder, louder, hooga booga. And, and nothing happens. And they actually take knives and start slicing themselves. They start cutting themselves, hooga booga. Nothing happens. And Elijah's like, all right, my turn. Here we go. He goes, but wait, 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 time out. Before I pray, I want to show you what kind of God I worship. Get four water jars, and I want you to drench this altar. So take four water jars and drench the altar. They douse the bull, and he says, do it again. Again, more water. Do it again. More water. Again, do it three times until the entire altar is soaking wet, and there's a trench of water surrounding it. And 1 Kings 18 says this is what happened on that mountain. The prophet Elijah stepped forward, and he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I'm your servant. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. It says, then the fire of the Lord, what? Fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. How about that? When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried out, the Lord is God. The Lord, he is what? God. Can I tell you what it's like? Standing on Mount Carmel knowing this is the exact spot where fire fell from heaven. How do you know? The geography is unchanged from the days of Elijah. That's Elijah. They got an amazing statue of him there kind of slicing up the prophets of Baal. And the sunburst marks the spot. They're like, this is where we have the evidence of the, of the actual fire and the altar. This is a, another pastor from Miami. We became friends. His name is Pastor Lennox. And he was like, Pastor Tim, take a picture of me. I want the fire to fall. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, call on it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to get singed here. Uh, it's amazing, guys. This is the uh, view of, of the Jezreel Valley um, overlooking it. It's beautiful. And here's something that wasn't quite on the tour, but it's kind of fun. We're standing there, and we have a Jewish tour guide, Menachem. Is his name Menachem? He kind of spit a little bit. <laughs> and he's telling us about Elijah. He's like, and then Elijah called down the God of Israel. And as he's talking, two F-15 fighter jets go streaking across this valley behind us. And we're like, whoa. He goes, okay, I want to tell you a secret. Watch this. Watch the two jets here. I want you to watch them fly down into the valley and... Poof, they will disappear into the ground. And we're like, that, what, what are you talking about? He goes, just watch them, watch them. And those jets go flying across the valley, and they're getting lower and lower and lower. And literally, we're like, they're literally going to crash in the ground. And all of a sudden, they're gone. They disappear. And I was like, what is this witchery, you know? <laughs> it says, I will tell you a little secret. From this valley are the underground silos of the Israeli Air Force. And when we, our enemies, across the valley in Syria strike us, we send our bomber jets 
out from Mount Carmel to bring fire from heaven just in a different way. <laughs> he goes, okay, that's not part of tour. Follow me. <laughs> like, what? It's crazy. By the way, by the way, <laughs> Israel's actually very, very safe. I do need to say that. They're very high-tech security. We didn't feel uh, unsafe for a second, so don't freak out. What you see on the news is a bit overblown, but that was day one off the plane. You literally step into the pages of Scripture. See, the Bible is geographical. It's bound to a specific place, time, and history, and the physical features of the land bring Scripture to life in a fresh way. When Colin and I got back, a few came up to us and said, hey, how was your vacation? Looked like a cool tour. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't call it vacation. And it wasn't even a tour. It was in every way a pilgrimage. You guys know what a pilgrimage is? Pilgrimage is defined as a long journey to some sacred place as an act of spiritual devotion. Let me tell you, going to Israel to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, it is a pilgrimage of the heart. It's a long journey. It's a 10-hour flight from Newark to Tel Aviv, about 12 hours back. You'll fly on El Al, that's Israel's national airline, and it's packed with Orthodox Jews returning to their homeland. And when you step off the plane, you are stepping into the pages of Scripture, like this. You wake up in the morning and say, let's take a hike. Yeah, let's hike up the Mount of Olives and go over Jerusalem. I'm soaring, I'm flying. And you literally overlook the city of David with the gleaming gold dome of the rock. It's absolutely gorgeous. David's citadel, Herod's temple, everything in the city is built from golden limestone. So when the sun sets, boom, the whole city glows golden. People are drawn to the western wall of the old city. And when night comes, Jerusalem comes alive with people. You can actually walk through the marketplace all the way to the western wall where Orthodox Jews pray. This is one of the holiest sites in Judaism. This is the only wall left of the temple. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the whole thing except for this giant retaining wall. And so Jewish people and pilgrims from all over the world, they come to read the scripture, they come to kneel, they come to pray, and they come to cry. It's called the Wailing Wall because every Jewish person who sees the temple in destruction and thinks about what it used to be in glory should cry. You notice ever see people putting little prayers into the cracks of the rock. Well, what ha what's that signify? On the other side of this wall is the Holy of Holies, where it was thought the presence of God himself dwelled. And so when they are sticking a prayer into the rock, they believe their prayer is going directly into the presence of God. They'll let Gentiles like me in. I was kind of surprised. They're like, whoa, 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 bro, you need a head covering. I was like, already got one. Now, you got to put on a yarmulke. You guys know why they wear a yarmulke, Jewish men? Because it's a reminder to them that there is an almighty God above them and they're not the boss. They want them to walk around for every moment of their life knowing I'm not top banana. I'm a created being from dust I came to dust I will go. And I belong to God. A yarmulke is, is, is like a wedding ring. It's a visible symbol that you belong to him. You're his possession. Has anybody ever here been to Israel? Raise your hand if you've, if you've been there. Awesome. Who wants to go? Raise your hand if you want to go. Oh, all right, cool. Let's go. Let's go. We'll hop on a plane next, next, next uh, spring. Well, here's the good news. You don't actually have to buy a plane ticket. Guys, over the next seven weeks, we're going on a spiritual pilgrimage together. And I'm going to take you to the places 
where Jesus himself, the God of miracles, he walked and he talked and he preached and he prayed and he healed the sick and he loved the poor and then he laid down his life for you on a cross called Golgotha. Psalm 84 makes a promise. It says, here's how you get to be blessed. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, O God, whose hearts are set on what, church? On pilgrimage. Each Sunday, I'm going to be your tour guide. I'm going to take you to a new location, plucked right out of the Gospels, the life of Jesus. And then in your small groups, you're going to actually study the miracles that he performed there and say, how does this apply to my life today? Because here's a new, if you're new to our church, you got to know this. We believe Jesus is still alive and that he still does miracles today. Amen? Make some noise if you believe that. He heals broken lives. He displays his power and hope in desperate situations. So we're going, guys, on a pilgrimage to encounter Jesus. It's a pilgrimage of two steps. Sermon, small group. On Sunday, I preach. In small groups, you pray. You get it? Preach, pray, scripture, study, sermon, small group. You take those two steps. That's how you'll get the most out of this pilgrimage to encounter Jesus and see your Bible come to life. Because what I discovered traveling through Israel is this. Not only is the Bible geographical, but Jesus himself is historical. He's not just a legend. He's not just some ancient myth. But Jesus was 100% God and 100% man flesh and blood, and his fingerprints and his footprints are all over Israel. We visited Nazareth, the childhood home of Jesus. This is what it looks like today. In the Gospel of John, Philip told Nathaniel, he said this, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Remember, we're reading about the Messiah in the Old Testament. We found him. What's his name, church? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Why do they call him Jesus of Nazareth? Here's why. In the first century, they were, it was small. <laughs> you didn't have to go by your last name. People actually only had one name, and everyone knew who you're talking about. It's like Beyonce, you know? <laughs> but to distinguish it, they would say, well, this is Jesus of Nazareth, his hometown. So it'd be like, this is Bob of Parsippany, you know? <laughs> it's Vinny of Secaucus, okay? Now, Nazareth was a small village. It's only about four acres in Jesus' day, rural village, kind of a backwater place like Secaucus. And uh, <clears throat> verse 46, I love this. Listen to this. Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel said, come and see, said Phil. That's where Jesus grew up. But today, Nazareth is actually home to 100,000 Jews, Muslims, and Christians all living together. And they get along quite well. You can visit Nazareth, the Church of the Annunciation. It's a beautiful Catholic church built on two levels. This upper level is a full-blown cathedral where pilgrims all over the world come to worship. But you go underneath, and you can go down the steps to the sacred grotto, the actual home of Mary. This would be the place where tradition tells us Mary lived, and the angel Gabriel came and announced to her, you are pregnant and Joseph ain't the father. <laughs> the Church of the Annunciation. It's a magnificent church with an international congregation. Every country in the world has sent mosaics and sacred art to Nazareth to commemorate Gabriel, blessing Mary and saying, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. I love looking at the mosaics. My favorite, I'll just show you, it's from Japan. 
This is so fun. Here's a Japanese Mary and baby Jesus <laughs> sent by a Christian community in Japan. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> but Jesus didn't stay there, right? He grew up there for 30 years learning the trade of a carpenter from his daddy, Joseph. But at age 30, he moved to Galilee in the north to live on a lake. Do you guys know Jesus lived on a lake? You know what it's called? The Sea of Galilee where he performed some of his most famous miracles, right? Walking on water, calming a storm. We're going to look at these later in the series. But from Galilee, he traveled to historical villages like Cana. You're going to study this in your small group this week. The site of Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding where he turned water into wine. You ever wonder why he chose that as his first miracle? Like sometimes it seems like a little bit of a party trick, like raising, why not raise the dead for you out of the gate, you know? Like that'll get your attention. Because there's a deeper meaning beneath the surface. Take a look at this. Hey guys, I'm here at Cana in Galilee, the site of Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. Take a look. This is the wedding church. It's pretty amazing to see the place of Jesus' first sign. Why was it a sign? Here's the reason. Think about Moses, what was Moses' big, uh, one of his miracle, early miracles? It was turning water into blood when he turned the Nile into blood. And here Jesus, one is greater than Moses is here. Jesus turns water into wine, a symbol of joy, not judgment. Blood is judgment, but wine equals joy. And then of course, at the Last Supper, Jesus takes a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood. I tell you, we won't drink it again until we do anew in the kingdom of heaven. So it symbolizes our marriage to Jesus, a beautiful miracle, a beautiful sign of Jesus' love and his power. We're going to walk through the land and we're going to learn the deeper significance of what Jesus taught, of how Jesus healed and the miracles he performed. This week, you're actually going to look at this miracle and then week by week, we're going to go miracle by miracle, location to location. It says this in John, he says, the miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was actually the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. What was the purpose? Let's read the last sentence, ready? And his, they believed in him. That was the purpose of all of Jesus' miracles, to prove that he was God in the flesh come to walk among men and women. Jesus was not a legend. He was not a mythical miracle maker. He is a historical figure. In fact, underneath the wedding church, they've done excavation and found ceremonial water jars dating the first century, so you can kind of get your Indiana Jones on if you're into that kind of thing. But the wedding church, they actually perform wedding vow renewals for pilgrims. So all these Christian folks from around the world, they come in, they're like, hey, Jesus' first miracle, let's get our wedding vows renewed. And I just felt moved by the Holy Spirit to give my bride a, a Bible kiss, you know, there. I was just like, <clears throat> love, sex, dating, go. I, I understand. I get it. You might be thinking, how do you know Jesus is historical, Tim? That's 2,000 years ago. Can you prove he walked those dusty dirt roads that he calmed and sailed on that and walked on that ocean? Absolutely. That's what's life-changing about a pilgrimage like this. See, the Bible's geographical. Jesus is historical. And guess what? The evidence is archaeological. It's scientific fact. These historical sites are not just from 2,000 years ago. They're actively being uncovered today in 2019. One of my favorite stops was an ancient city. This is actually it. It's called Magdala, home to Mary of Magdalene. Oh, that's it. And the coolest thing behind this, I'll show you, this is the synagogue that they uncovered in 2009. It's the oldest in the entire region. 
You could actually walk through it. That's the mikvah, the ceremonial bath. And so we walked through it, and the Catholic Church was very gracious to us. They welcome people of every denomination. And so pilgrims from all over the world come to see where Jesus healed and touched and, and the art and beauty there. I mean, this is right on the shore of Galilee. The art there is extraordinary, mosaics. I'm going to tell you about this Magdala stone, but this is one of the coolest things I've, I've, I've ever heard. Basically, in 2009, so this isn't like 2000, 2009, the Catholic Church said, we want to buy a little plot of land on the Sea of Galilee to have a retreat center, and it will be dedicated to all the female followers of Jesus. They didn't even know. They basically put the backhoe in, and 18 inches underground, they strike the synagogue of Magdala, the oldest one in the region. And they find out it is the hometown of Mary of Magdalene. So the entire site is dedicated to female followers of Jesus around the world. And in the middle of that synagogue is this thing. It's called the Magdala Stone. They say it's the most important archaeological discovery of the last 50 years. Why? Because this is the oldest carving of the menorah from the temple etched into stone that they've ever found. This is, guys, 2009. In Matthew's gospel, we're told, Jesus sent the people home, and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of? Only 10% of this is uncovered, guys. This is an active archaeological site where pilgrims actually even volunteer to come and work with archaeologists to see where Jesus walked, talked, healed, and called his first disciples. The synagogue in Magdala um, that I showed behind me here this is, it's almost certain that Jesus taught from this exact spot and would have taken the Torah, the Bible, put it on that stand and unrolled it there and said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You could actually see the stones where people would sit. It wasn't a big church, but they would have listened to Jesus teach from the Torah. In other words, Jesus preached right here. And it was incredible. So did I, thanks to the generosity of our Catholic friends. Uh, there's a priest there named Father Kelly who oversees the archaeology of the site. And he came up to me and he said, I heard you're a pastor from New York City. <laughs> I said, I am. <laughs> he says, do you want to preach the mass? And I was like, sure, of course. Yes, you know. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter if you're Protestant. You have to make me a promise, though. You have to preach the gospel. And so he's led me inside this stunning Catholic chapel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. This is actually a replica of St. Peter's boat that they put there. Coolest pulpit I've ever seen. Let me tell you, when, when you got the Sea of Galilee 20 yards behind you, you don't need PowerPoint and screens and Google animation, okay, people? It's like it's, it happened, oh, here. <laughs> and I was like, what do I preach from? And so I went to Luke 5. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I'm like, that's a good one. <laughs> Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And so he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, this is Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds before him. From there, when he had finished speaking, this is so important, he said to Simon Peter, let's read this together. Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. And P.S., we're fishermen, you're a carpenter. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but I love this. 
But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to what? They began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man, for he was awestruck by the miracle, by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with them. His partners, Jimmy and Johnny, the sons of Zebedee, of Zebedee, they were, they were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for what? People. You got a new job, bro. <laughs> Drop the nets. Drop the zero. Get with the hero. We're going fishing for men and women. How many of you know that today Jesus is still calling every disciple to go deeper? That's what this series is about. I want you to step out of your comfort zone and enter the story of Jesus. Push beyond your complacency. Maybe you've come to church your whole life, you're like, I know these stories. Or maybe you've, you, know, you haven't been to Mass in a while and, and, and now you're like, I, I'm, I know about Jesus as God, but I don't know the specifics of his, his life and his message. Guys, this is an invitation to meet and encounter the God of miracles in a fresh way. I'm telling you, I've read my Bible in black and white my whole life. When you walk where Jesus walked, it's like it comes to life in 3D technicolor. Father Kelly came up to me after the service. He said, son, how did you know? I said, know what? He goes, you preached from Luke 5. Do you know what the name of our chapel is? I go, I don't know. <laughs> he says, the name is Duke and Altum, and it means push out deeper. It comes from verse 4 in Luke chapter 5 where he just preached. Jesus says to Peter, do you want a miracle? You're going to have to go out deeper. Friends, Jesus is calling you to go deeper. I believe that with all my heart. That's what this series is about for the next seven weeks. I want to challenge you, if you're new to our church particularly, or maybe you came in February, you're like, ooh, love sex dating. Ooh. Okay. It's great. It's cool. It's awesome. Glad you came. It's time. Can I, can I just say to you personally, it's time to go out deeper. It is time for you to encounter Christ. Follow in the footsteps of your Savior. Open the Bible. Walk the land. Watch God open your heart and discover the roots of your faith. I guarantee you're going to pick up some things you never knew in this series, and you're going to want to go. But this is my personal invitation to you from your pastor. Come get in the boat with me. Push out deeper. Join a small group. Together, we're going to go on a seven-week pilgrimage, guys, as we open the Bible and God opens our hearts. So here's the deal. Think of your small group leader as your tour guide, okay? On Sunday, I will introduce you and lead you through the Holy Land. But then your small groups, you're going to study the miracles that took place there together. And so it'll lead you to straight to the heart of the miracle maker. So I want to introduce the tour guides at every campus. So let me do this. All of our small group leaders, if you're a small group leader at our campus, would you stand up right now and come forward to the stage? Just hurry on up, small group leaders, and we're going to give you a big round of applause because we're going to thank God for you. Thank you very much, Helda. Love you guys. Come on down, all of our campuses. Give them a big hand, big hand. Come on. These guys are awesome. Men and women of God right here, I love them. These are the best looking people at Liquid. Come on, fill them on in the front here. Now, what's cool is, notice they're holding up a sign. What's on the sign? What's this say? 
Grief Share. This one says Women's Group, Morristown, 7 p.m. These are groups for every age and stage. So if you're like, I'm a young mom only available on Thursday mornings, there's a group for you. If you're like, I'm in college, I'm a young adult, I want to be with other 18, 20-somethings, there's a group for you. We have men's, women's, we have married couples, things with kids, um, and this is, guys, where care and community happens in our church. When you go to a small group, this is where you open the Bible, you study it together with other people. Smile, everybody. Don't snarl at people. <laughs> Show them you got all your teeth there, Jermaine. It's got, you got, it's got them all. These guys are the shepherds of our church. They have a heart to care for you. They pray for you week by week, and they're opening their groups to you today. And so if you're not in a small group, I'm going to encourage you to actually find one that fits your station of life. And if you can't find one your day, that's fine. Go talk to other people. It's not a four-life commitment. It's seven weeks. But here's the other thing. This is what I want to say. If you've tried a group before and, like, it wasn't a fit, that's okay. No harm, no foul. Just try another. We have people at Liquid who have been in five or six small groups, so they know a ton of, of people. But, guys, this is how we make a big church feel small. <laughs> Get it? We, go, we move from an anonymous face in the crowd to a friendly face on the couch. Sign up. Sign up. There you go. There you go. Right here. There we go. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to think about this, because we're going to dismiss you in a few minutes to go meet these amazing people and people at your campus. But these are your tour guides, and for seven weeks, they're going to lead you through the miracles of Jesus. And I'm convinced if you need a miracle in your life, maybe you're like, man, my, pa my passion has gone out, Tim. I need a, the fire of God to fall in my heart like it did for you. Join a group. If you're like, I need, I need, I need the water to change to the sweet wine of, of joy and forgiveness. Join a group. I need God to multiply miracles in my business or life or career. Join a group. And at the end of the seven weeks, all of us are going to arrive together at the garden tomb. And we're going to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive, he's risen, he's forgiving, and he's saving the world today. Amen? Amen. Psalm 84 promises you. It says, blessed, you're going to be blessed. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, O God, whose hearts are set on what? Pilgrimage. Right now, you're looking at pilgrims. And we're all on a journey to experience Jesus this spring, and we just really hope you will join us. So, Group leaders, thank you. From my heart to yours, thank you. Thank you for your service, the way you love our people. You open your homes. And I'm going to dismiss you right now. Would you guys head out to the lobby? All of our campuses, the group leaders are heading out. They're going to go set up because in about 60 seconds, you're going to get a chance to go meet them and find a group that fits for you. Now, as they head out to get ready to greet you guys, let me do this. I just want to pray for this series because we want to see God move over the next seven weeks and really commit this journey to the Lord. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you're alive. We thank you that we don't worship a dead religion. We worship a risen Savior, and you are still moving. God, I ask like Elijah, would you let fire fall into the heart of this church, that we will be different in seven weeks, God, that we will arrive at the garden tomb, Lord, so full of your presence that, Father, we will practically glow and run into our classrooms and gyms and businesses to tell others that you're alive and what you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that you would allow us to enter the story. I pray right now maybe just for some specific people who are sitting on the fence. They love coming on Sunday, and they love hearing your word. I pray that they would be doers, that they would move out of their seats 
and onto the field to walk in the dust of our rabbi Jesus. We can't wait to see what you're going to reveal to us, Holy Spirit. I ask that there would be miracles in this church. God, I pray for healings. I pray for uh, marriages mended. I pray for things to happen that are inexplicable except the power of God is still moving and active. And Lord, I pray that you just bless our small group leaders. Put a hedge of protection around them. Bless them 10, 50-fold, Lord, for the investment they make to love us well. We ask that in all glory go to Jesus. Everyone said together? Amen. Let's give God a praise. You guys excited? You ready to go? All right.